0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of A Pinch of Prevention. Before we get started with this episode, we want to give a quick trigger warning. This episode is going to contain mentions of sexual assault and rape. Additionally, the Prevention Youth Council functions in partnership with Albion Fellows Bacon Center, and our mission is to uplift the voices of teens by providing them with opportunities to advocate for their communities and themselves. Today, Catherine and I are here with
1: Mr. Lukey. Mr. Lukey has been a crime scene detective with the Evansville Police Department for
0: 24 years. It's so great to have you here with us. Thank you so much. Could
2: well, you, yeah, thank yeah. you for having me. I, I, it's a joy to be here.
0: Could you just tell us a little bit about what you do?
2: Okay. Uh, well, like I said, I'm a detective, crime scene detective the Evansville Police Department. And uh, my main function for the police department is to... Uh, obtain, collect, and preserve evidence of crimes, and that can be anything from uh, fingerprint identification to collecting trace evidence like hairs or fibers. Uh, one of my functions is to uh, search any bodily fluids that may lead to uh, a criminal conviction, and then um, I do a lot of photography uh, of. All kinds of stuff. And one of those things uh, is uh, I document uh, injuries uh, sustained by victims of sexual assault. So that's one, one, probably 15 to 20% of what I do is that.
1: When you're dealing with sexual assault cases, do you ever deal directly with the victims?
2: I do. Uh, I do. Um, usually uh, when they go to the hospital for to obtain a sexual assault kit, Uh, I will be brought in uh, as requested by the nurse uh, to document their injuries. And a lot of the reasons that they call me is the fact that I'm a trained photographer and I've been doing this for so long. So I might see something that perhaps they don't see, or I might be able to better document something that the doctor or the nurse can't see. I especially get called in when the sexual assault, where the where the victim is a child, I will get called in almost every time on those. Uh, When the when the uh, victim is a a juvenile, it's almost guaranteed that myself or one of my coworkers is going to document those injuries.
0: Okay, so why is that that you're normally called in whenever there's a child involved?
2: Well, I think now this this may sound strange for someone not in the business but as a detective and with with the injuries sustained you've only got one chance to get it right okay so and and I mean the nurses and the doctors and child protection services and everything they're great at what they do they are but they're they're not professional photographers and once that person the victim of a crime leaves the hospital it would be uncomfortable to ask them to come back for more pictures. So we want to do everything we can at the time. As hard as that is for the victim to, to go through, we don't want them to have to keep reliving all of this trauma again because the event that they went through uh, is traumatic, and then everything that we do on the medical and the criminal side is traumatic, and then the criminal side after that is traumatic. So we want to reduce as much trauma as we can.
0: So I imagine that you're dealing with people probably, like you said, just went through something that was extremely traumatic. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the other like measures that you would take whenever you're photographing the injuries to help reduce that trauma? And you kind of touched on it, but maybe you, know, you could just expand no, a little bit. No, that's
2: okay. One thing I, I always do is mm-hmm. uh, I go in. Well, first of all, we have to make sure that they're comfortable with me being in there. Not just me as a stranger or me as a policeman, but also me as a, as a male, mm-hmm. okay? And if a victim has a, a difficulty with, with that, with, you know, me being a man, that's, that's fine, okay? We don't force ourselves on anyone as far as, you know, oh, you have to have this done, you have to have this done. We encourage it. We, we certainly encourage it because the more evidence we have, the better case we can put together. But um, if a victim is, is so traumatized they don't want a, a man in there, that's fine. Um, because most of the time when I go in there, I'm taking pictures of areas that they normally wouldn't want people to see. Um, I, but I always introduce myself, I always explain what I'm going to do uh, in, in great detail. And I tell them, at any time, if you become uncomfortable, all you have to do is just say stop. And I, I fold up my stuff and I, and I leave. So,
1: When you get a phone call and there's a victim on the phone and they say they have been assaulted, are you the one who goes directly to the crime scene and like, deals with them there? Or how does that work?
2: Okay, that's a good question. Um, a, a motor patrol unit, you know, the guys that drive around in the cars, they would be the first ones to go. Okay, And they would say, like, separate any witnesses uh, and they would call me almost immediately. And uh, I would go to the scene of where it happened and I would, you know, just start obtaining any evidence that I could. A detective will speak with the victim and then the detective will relate to me where it happened, how it happened, when it happened, any special circumstances. And then that way I can focus my attention on, on, you know, something very specific, like, you know, what room it happened in or in some sexual assaults, the man will wear a condom and the victim will say, well, he threw the condom away in the bathroom or he, you know, wiped up, And threw that away in the kitchen and so that way I can focus my attention on exactly what I need to do uh, at the scene and then after that after the victim has gone to the hospital if the nursing staff the sexual assault nurse examiners need my assistance then I will go help them there too okay so
0: whenever you go in and you collect this evidence could you like maybe walk us through how you're doing that like what steps do you take sure. uh, to make sure it's preserved and safe?
2: sure absolutely the first thing we do when we go into a scene say we go into someone just say an, uh, an apartment say like a two-bedroom apartment uh the first thing we have to do is we have to document the condition of the apartment okay because it's going to be so important for the victim the more that the victim can recall and the more that i can produce for example if the victim says. Well, they had a, a poster of Elton John in the bedroom, and the sheets were green, and there was a, a bottle, a water bottle with magnolias on it. I will photograph everything in those apart in that apartment, and that way I can match up the story with what actually took place. Okay, uh, if I don't do that, and they describe all this fantastic stuff, and I get to court and I can't produce that, it 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 takes away some of the credibility. Um, so the first thing I do is I photograph every room in the apartment or the house or wherever it is. Sometimes it's a car, sometimes it's an alley, um, just so we can recreate that. Because like I said before, you only have one chance, mm-hmm. so you can't go back. Uh, if we have a, uh, if we have the story from the victim, uh, I will concentrate on those areas. However, we we pretty much go through everything. Okay, mm-hmm. we have some special equipment that can denote if there's seminal fluid present uh, where the assault occurred. And so, in that case, I've got these special glasses that I wear, we, we blacken the place out, and then we have this light, and anytime, anytime there's a trace of seminal fluid, it'll it'll glow. Um, and so, if that were the case, say I find some seminal fluid on uh, a pillowcase, for example, uh, I would collect the whole pillow, okay? Uh, I'd preserve that, I'd preserve any, any damage to anything, uh, any, like I said before, a con- if a condom is used, we would collect that. Any paper towels or bath towels that were used to clean up, uh, we would collect that. Any body fluid that I can find, either from the suspect or the victim, I collect that. Um, and oh, we look for hairs, you know, fibers, all that good stuff, clothing of course. Um, and then I would take it back down to my office, which is at the police department, uh, and just, just bag it all. Okay. Mm-hmm. We put it all in, in paper bags, it has to be able to breathe because it slows down the growth of bacteria. Mm-hmm. If it contains a body fluid, we also refrigerated it because that also slows down uh, the, the bacteria growth. Um, so kind of... I hope I'm not rambling. Okay, <laughs> <you're> kind <laughs> of going past that when it, uh, hopefully the, the uh, victim has had a sexual assault kit done uh, at the hospital. And I can't go into, I don't do the sexual assault kits. That's uh, the nursing staff. But then what we'll do is we'll take uh, what is present in the sexual assault kit. We'll take the evidence that I collected. And then we'll also get what's called a buckle swab from the suspect okay and that's just a a q-tip rubbed on the inside of their cheeks and we will send all of that i will take all of that and the sexual assault kit and i'll send it to the lab at the indiana state police post and they in turn have chemists who will take the sexual assault kit and they'll break it down and look for any mitochondrial dna which is male dna and see if anything's present if so they will take the buckle standard that i sent and they'll start to compare them, and then after that, they'll start to take the clothing, the condoms, anything else, the, the paper towels. So that's kind of wow. that's kind of how it it's works. Such
0: a, thanks so much for describing that for us. It's such a in-depth process, and you know, I didn't even realize like all the little details, like having the oh, store and yeah. paper bags instead of you know plastic bags. Yeah,
2: yeah, it is in depth. It, it it's very it's very in in intensive. And I guess as a crime scene detective, myself and, and the other guys that I work with, it's so important to get it right the first time. Because if you don't get it right the first time, say something comes up a, a month from now and they uh, the victim says, oh, I remember that he was wearing a green hat. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't collect that green hat a month ago, yeah, I mean it's shot. That little yeah. piece of evidence is is shot. So, it's it's a lot of pressure to go into a scene and to get it right because you you only have one shot. That's it. And then after that the the ship is sailed and you can only take to court what you've got. So you better make sure you got it all.
1: So there's like a stronger case the more evidence Absolutely.
2: Yeah, if you have if you have the the DNA evidence uh, which DNA evidence is, is great. It is. But <clears throat> at the same time, DNA evidence is somewhat limited. Just because uh, a male's DNA, he also shares half of that DNA with every other male in his family. Okay. So I've had a couple cases um, where uh, we've had to get not only a, a buckle swab from the suspect, but also from his other male family members because that mitochondrial DNA, they all share that. And so we have, to. you have to get the other side of it in order for the state lab to compare. That doesn't come up very often. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how it works. If you have five or six items, that's great. The more items you have with, and, and I, I, I need to back up. I've been talking about the females, the victim and the male as the suspect. And I don't want to, overgeneralized, but 98% of them are that. So I'm speaking about a male suspect and a female victim. But so you would collect more stuff with his DNA on it. The more you have, the better it is. So, interesting. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so you've been doing this for 24 years, and obviously there's been a lot of change in technology over that Oh, my time. gosh. Could you maybe speak on that? Yes. How do you think that it has changed the way that we prosecute <clears throat> sexual assault cases?
2: Well, the biggest change came about six years ago, and that had to do with DNA. Say, for example, you two touched this phone that I'm speaking into, and I touched this phone. Okay, and I sent the phone up to the lab to, for them to get some DNA profiles on it. If there were, The old way was if there were more than two DNA profiles on here, they could not separate them. Okay, but now they can separate four DNA profiles. So if wow. us three touch it and someone else touches it, they'll be able to split those open and they'll be able to come up with four distinct DNA profiles about seven years ago, if there were more than two, if us three touched it, they wouldn't be able to get any of ours. Wow. So that has been huge, not only with sexual assault, but with you know possession of firearms, burglaries, you know things like that. Where before, if you had if three people touched it, you were just out of luck. Yeah. So that's changed quite a bit uh, as far as the science side. Um, that's changed. Um, Fingerprints have always been the same. They, the science on those doesn't change. And uh, if you can get a fingerprint uh, from the suspect at a crime scene, uh, it's it's phenomenal. It's better than DNA because there's not that. There's no two fingerprints alike. There's 80 million fingerprints on file with the FBI, and there aren't two alike. Not not even twins have. The same fingerprints. What?
0: Is it easy to like get a fingerprint or is that like common? It's a little, it's a
2: lot more difficult okay. because the surface has to be uh, non-porous. You can't get it on blankets or sheets or paper towels, but you can get it on glass. You can get them on phones. Phones are fantastic because, you know, you, you guys are touching them yeah. all the time. Uh, so it is more difficult. But, man, if you can get a fingerprint, you're, you're golden because it actually puts that person exactly right there at where the fingerprint was found whereas dna could be and this may sound silly brought in from somewhere else or brought in from another room Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know what i mean kind of weird but a fingerprint means that you were actually in that location so but they're very difficult we don't get a lot of fingerprints on sexual assaults they easily take places. usually take place like you know, in a bed or on the floor or in an alley or something like that. So there's not a lot of, we call that contact uh, prints. So DNA is better. So, yes.
1: So in your experience, how many sexual assault cases when you go to court do you see mm-hmm. actually get prosecuted where the victim gets justice and the suspect gets sent whatever punishment he has?
2: That's a good question. Um, and I don't have a good answer for you. And, and that is because... After I shouldn't, if it goes to court, I I and the 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 the, the detective detective that follows it, um, we see it all the way through the end. Okay, from beginning alpha to omega. But so many of the sexual assaults stop somewhere between A and Z, and I don't know. I couldn't tell you how many. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. T- I will say this. Uh, more of them the go to trial than I would think. I I mean, just me personally, and I don't know what my, you know, yard line is for how many I think should go to trial, but um, quite a few of them do. I will say this, every trial that I've gone to on sexual assault, the suspect has been found guilty. And I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if that's 20 or 35 I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know how many get pled out to mm-hmm. I don't follow it in other words if, if it doesn't go all the way, I don't I can't keep up with it
0: okay. so <laughs> So You kind of mentioned that there's a lot of times factors that will stop the case from going to trial What do you think are some of those common factors that kind of block it?
2: I think the biggest uh, factor is uh, victim lack of victim cooperation i think that's the biggest one just talking to the sex crimes detectives uh, that we have here in evansville it seems that most cases don't even get out out of the gate because of lack of cooperation from the victim uh for for whatever reason that is and i know there's there's a ton of reasons uh i will say this if if we have the evidence and we have the victim cooperation the suspect is going to get something they are. I, I like I said. I mean, I'm not, you know, tooting my own horn, but I know I've had a guilty verdict in every one that I've done. So if it gets all the way to the end, there's. I I don't know what Mr. Herman's conviction rate is, but I bet it's above 95. Wow. So, but I know victim cooperation is seems to be the biggest stumbling block to see it all the way through.
0: So I would say that's definitely higher than like what you would see in most cases. Like most cases would not result in a conviction mm-hmm. of the suspect. So what do you think um, makes these cases different?
2: You know, I, I, I we have we have a lot, and I'm once again I don't mean to toot my own horn. We have a lot of dedicated individuals here in Evansville. I mean these people that that take these jobs. Whether, from you know the sex crime detective to the crime scene detective to the nurse at the hospital, to you know the the advocates uh, to the deputy prosecutors. I mean, there's a there's a dedication there. I mean, there really is. I mean, I I mean I I I can't think of one person in that slew of people that I would be like, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't shrug any of those people off. I think they're very good at what they do, and I think. Our prosecutor is—I mean—he's—he's he's good at doing sexual assault cases. I mean, he really is. And and we and you know we have a uh, like a a strong victim adv- advocacy um, feeling, uh, not only with the prosecutor's office but with groups like Albion, and you know groups like the YWCA and and uh, House of Bread and Peace. And victims can get a lot of support. They really, really, really can. I don't know if that's true in all jurisdictions, but I know here in Vandenberg County, uh, a a victim is never really alone. I think that helps. Because, like I said before, victim cooperation is probably the biggest stumbling block. So maybe that's why, maybe that's one reason why we're so successful.
0: So what do you think needs to be done, like maybe on a more, a larger or a nationwide scale to make, help victims feel more supported?
2: you know i think some of the biggest stumbling blocks and and i think this block has has been chipped down quite a bit is attaching a stigma to sexual assault because so many people are afraid to come forward mm-hmm. and i don't know what the statistics are as far as how many occur as opposed to how many are reported because you don't know you don't you, you don't know that statistic because you don't know how many weren't reported but i think taking the stigma out of sexual assault is is huge and i think uh, a lot of groups do that. Um, I think just making the victim more comfortable, uh, awareness is good. Letting letting uh, victims know that they can come forward, that they won't be ostracized, that they they're coming into a warm atmosphere, so to speak. There is help. Uh, you know, a lot of these uh, sexual assault sexual assaults uh, are. As a result of you know a domestic violence situation, uh, just the most more, more the more support they can get, I think the more comfortable they are, you know, in reporting. So I would say reporting and support. I think those are the two biggest factors. Once I think once they get in our hands, things are going to go pretty well. It's just mm-hmm. getting getting that case in our hands. That's the that's the key. Interesting. So.
1: Um, so as you said earlier, there's been a big change in technology that has allowed you to gather more evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen like a similar change in the stigma over the past twenty four years? Has it improved?
2: Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I mean, me being fifty six, um, I can. I mean, you didn't hear about people being sexually assaulted. It wasn't. It was like something that. You know, you pulled your shades down and you hid from it. But because mm-hmm. I don't know, it, it just I'm sure sexual assaults were just as bad then when I was a kid or you're all's age as it is now. But I think, yeah, I think it's worn down. I think the stigmas are eroded uh, and we all know someone I shouldn't I shouldn't assume that. But we all know someone or know someone who knows someone who has been sexually assaulted. I mean, I can sit here and think, not at work, but I can sit there and think, okay, I know this person was. So I think as more people become aware that it's out there and it's a problem, uh, the, the I guess, it's easier to report, you know. And then you take it from, like, the hospital standpoint, you know, 20 years ago, there was one sexual assault, assault nurse at Deaconess, Pat Bender. And Pat Bender was, I mean, she was it for... 30 years. Well, now you have a a team, you know, you have 10, 10 nurses there. You have another seven or eight at St. Vincent. And so, you know, that's made it easier because Mm -hmm. you just don't have a nurse who doesn't know what they're doing with this sexual assault kit and they've never done it before. So I think the training in the medical field has made it better too. So
1: (laughs) what do you think are some changes that we can make in the system to further improve some of the stigma? or combat
2: it? well, uh, that's, yeah, what changes can we make? I, I, I think, yeah. I guess just have more access, more, um, I don't know, what, how do I want to put this? More, um, I, I guess just make the, the, programs and help just more easily accessible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, it's hard and I, you know, victims of sexual assault and, you know, domestic violence, they, they have a hard time reporting it. And, and, and I understand that. And they have a, they have a hard time getting out of those relationships for a myriad of reasons. Um, and groups like Albion, especially which you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, they're trying to trying to make it easier for victims to get out and trying to get their message out and trying to provide them more information. Um, I know when I came on, domestic violence, which, as you know, sometimes can lead to sexual assault, it, the, the accessibility for victims was, was kind of blossoming. And I know the old guys on the department, when I came on, uh... I'm not saying they they were resistant to it, but it was all new for them. But for me, it was just business as usual, you know, helping these people out. And now it's just, it seems to be commonplace that immediately when an officer goes to a domestic situation, they're giving them Albion numbers, they're giving them rides to women's shelters, uh, they're making sure they go to the hospital, uh, they're, you know, giving them numbers for resources and things like that. And that just needs to continue. And as that continues, more victims will come forward.
0: I completely agree. I think that that's a great point that we just have to do everything we can to make sure that people have access because there are resources. It's just that a lot of times, you know, we're working on that. We're trying to get them out there and get them to more people. And trying to educate like the youth of our generation
1: so they know better for when they become an adult. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and things like this. I didn't mention your <laughs> podcast, things like this. It's over here. The more you know, the more exposure it you know, the more you know the better. Right. So
0: yeah. So kind of going back to something we were talking about earlier, a mm-hmm. lot of times These sexual assaults and rapes will happen whenever there's no witness. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they're probably, you can probably speak better on this, but sometimes there probably isn't a whole lot of evidence. Right. How do you go about like investigating those types of scenes? You
2: know, those are, those are a little trickier. Um, One thing we have to, one thing that we especially do is try to collect everything we can. But say you have something that, say it's something very vague Okay, say, for example, the victim says, I don't know, it happened sometime last night, I don't know who the guy was, I don't know where it happened, I, I woke up this morning and I knew I had been raped. And, and that, that happens, you know, that happens. And so a detective will, uh, of course, they'll do the sexual assault kit um, at, the, at the hospital, but the detective will just have to try to go back in piece." the evening together, okay? Talk to her friends. Uh, Maybe we can download the GPS on our car. Well, I say maybe. We can download the GPS on our car. We can download the GPS on her phone. Uh, We can use her cell phone um, to see where she went off hitting off cell phone towers. Uh, We can use a lot of electronics, which is... And that would be something that is different now, which I didn't mention earlier because I don't deal in the electronics. Um, And you just try to piece it together. But sometimes you don't have anything. I mean, sometimes you just... You do not have anything. And you pray that there is some type of DNA evidence in that sexual assault kit. However, you also need a standard from a suspect, too. But uh, they can run... The sexual assault kit through CODIS, which is the national DNA database, to find out who if that person has ever been arrested, misdemeanor or felony, you your DNA is put into this system called CODIS. Okay, if you do those family genealogy things, you know where you write all your DNA is put into CODIS. So any so they can do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, and you hope a that there's DNA in that sexual assault kit and b you hope that the offender has had his or her dna taken at some point so uh and those are strictly just a a, a chemistry thing it it doesn't necessarily but we can we can start to piece stuff together uh through electronics too okay we can it's incredible how much you going back i hope you don't mind me skipping backwards what has changed investigative wise is cell phones because we can I can tell you everywhere you've been in the last two years <laughs> on a cell phone, whether you turn it off or not. I mean and then the phones, if you if your Bluetooth your phone Bluetooth is hooked up to your car, they have a device now, the prosecutor's office has a device now where they can go in and hook into your car. Say your phone gets, you know, thrown off a bridge or something like that, we can go hook into your car or the suspect's car, if you're Bluetooth connected to that wow. car, did and we can find out right? where that per- person has been. And we recently, and I can't talk a lot about it, we had a case about three months ago. That's exactly what we did, wow. was the, the, the Bluetooth from that person's car, the victim's phone, hooked into their Bluetooth everywhere we went, and the timelines, when that where they stopped, how fast they were going down this street, where they pulled off. So electronics has changed a lot. Um, We have another unit, or we call him the cell phone guy, who downloads Mm -hmm. all that stuff, does all that stuff. And then the prosecutor's office has a team of five or six people, and they work on that. And it's tremendous. Wow. So, yeah, it really is.
0: (laughs) So do you think that this more electronic evidence has the capability to be just as powerful as DNA evidence? (sighs)
2: DNA is always better. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say this. It's an investigative tool. I don't think you're going to convict someone on a cell phone. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because, for instance, our three cell phones, if, if I downloaded or if I looked at where our towers hit, they would put us all here in this room, but that's all it would tell us. Okay. It, yeah, you can't it, say it
0: actually happened. Right,
2: it won't tell us anymore. It's okay. it's great evidence. It's great. Uh, it would, you know, and it could. If if I said that we us three were sitting in this room, but your cell phone hit at Eastland Mall during this time, I could definitively say that she wasn't here. So it can do that okay. too. But the DNA is still the best. Yeah, okay. definitely the best. But but it it. I mean, it corroborates story, you know, like we were at the bar together, you know, okay, I can show your cell phones right next to each other. You know, we got in the car and we went to, you know, Dairy Queen. Okay, it'll show that. But it, it doesn't do anything as far as proving the criminal act.
0: Okay. Yeah. So definitely it could help with like validating an eyewitness account. Yes,
2: absolutely it can.
0: But
1: you need that like DNA to get a case in the first place?
2: It's not it's not absolutely necessary, uh, but it sure helps. Yeah. I mean, there may not be traces of DNA. I mean, if, if a sexual assault occurs and, and the suspect's wearing a condom and there's no spermicidal fluid or anything else, or the victim goes in two days later or ten days later or goes home and takes a shower and things like that, there may not be DNA there may not be uh but boy it sure helps if there is yeah so but we can't i i wouldn't say like we never take a case and go oh there's no there's no dna in there we're done no but it sure helps yeah
0: so you kind of touched on this before but Mm -hmm. could you talk about what you feel your role is not just as a police officer, as an investigator, Mm -hmm. what is your role as like a male who might deal with someone shortly after they have a traumatic experience?
2: You know, they, every year, at least every other year, but sometimes every year, we go through um, training to how to talk to victims and everything. Um, And that's more of a, a policeman, you know, that's more of me. In there, in my uniform, you know, with the badge and the gun and all that stuff. I guess I I guess I could answer that in like if I had to give advice to somebody uh, on how to talk to a victim of sexual assault. You, you have to talk to them on their terms, okay? You have to, you you should ask them everything. You shouldn't. You should explain what you want to do while you're in there. And you should ask for permission because this person, this victim, has just been denied their ability to give permission at some point prior to you being in there. And so you do not want to come across as aggressive or not giving them a choice because they didn't have a choice before. So you want to give them the choice. You want to encourage uh, their participation in what you're getting ready to do whether it be a sexual assault kit or photography or, you know, measuring injuries and things like that, taking pictures of, you know, sensitive areas. But it's always a choice. You always give them the choice. And if they say no, yeah. Because the last thing you want to do is make them anxious, make them angry, uh, traumatize them again. I mean, if you've done that, you you might as well just hang your badge up because what are you doing? Mm -hmm. so
0: (laughs) so a lot of times after someone experiences a sexual assault they're probably really in shock and this may not be like the evidence collecting may not even be on their mind but like in theory Mm -hmm. what would uh, a kind of perfectly preserved scene look like? What types of steps could someone take to make sure that the police force receives evidence that could be helpful? Okay, um (laughs) <laughs> and maybe not just only the victim but maybe people who are around the victim like what could they do also to like make sure that all the evidence is received that's
2: a good question and I'm going to give a very short answer and then I'll elabor- I'll elaborate <laughs> don't touch anything yeah I got it <laughs> yeah don't, don't touch anything um yeah <clears throat> yeah don't touch anything don't rip the sheets off the bed um don't clean up um, I had one case that um, this girl was sexually assaulted and she called her friends over, which I get. You know, she needs some support. And the friends decided to be like junior detectives. And so they took a Sharpie and they went to the bed and they, they uh, put circles around all the, all the seminal fluid with arrows. And it said like sperm. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't need, I, I, I can figure that out. Uh, and they stacked everything up nicely, neatly for me, you know, and I'm like, no, I, I need to see it, how it was, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that really does lend to the statement of don't touch anything. Yeah. yeah. I, and I know that uh, when we turn in the sexual assault kits to the state, they always ask, did the, defense, or the, did the victim shower? Okay. And I get why you want to shower. I get it. You want to wash everything off of you that has happened. I, mm-hmm. I understand. Um, yeah, don't touch anything. Don't shower. Go straight to the hospital. Okay. And it a lot of victims will take off the clothing that they were wearing. I, yeah, I, I understand that hundred uh, percent. Just take them off and leave them. You know, don't throw them in with the rest of the laundry. I've had that happen. Uh, so don't touch anything, call the police, go to the hospital. Yeah.
1: Do you have anything else you would like to add? Anything else you want to say?
2: Um, you know, not, I don't know. I, I, I think what you guys are doing is, is great. I do, especially as young as you are. Um, and I would hope that people would be supportive of victims of sexual assault, um, because it has to be, and I don't, I don't know personally, but it has to be one of the most traumatic things that can ever happen to a person. And so I would hope that I would hope everyone would have two or three people they could go to. If they don't, you know, we've got all these agencies in mm-hmm. Evansville. You can always call nine one one, and we'll get you in touch with everybody. Um, yeah, I think that's about it that i could think
0: of well thank you so much again for talking with us you you made some excellent points about the power of removing stigma and Mm -hmm. the power of making sure people know that they are totally it's fully not their fault and that it is it is okay to like go and report and let people know that like this happened to them sure so um as we end, we wanted to share some hotlines with you If you are experiencing or have experienced sexual assault, call the National Sexual Assault Hotline. It's open 24 7. That's at 1 800 656 4673. If you or someone you know has or is experiencing domestic violence, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is also available 24 7 at 800 799 7233. Or you can also text START. to eight eight seven eight
1: eight okay well thank you guys so much for listening and stay tuned for more ingredients of change